What is up guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength and Physique with your hosts, Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are betting themselves with fitness. All right, welcome back to All The Smoke on Strength and Physique. It's been a little bit since we've had a, a guest on the podcast. We went through a little hiatus with, you know, me getting up to the PhD, doing all the nonsense that goes into that. Chris with the business and doing all of that. My man, I want to I want to say what I want to say. But, you know, Chris, he had told me not to. So I'm going to shut up on that. But before we get into all the juiciness and all the smoke, again, we have our the, the specialist guests, probably Mr. Jordan Syatt, my friend. How are you? I'm good. How are you boys doing? <laughs> we are doing great, man. A pleasure to have you, man. Again, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, but for whatever reason, if our you know six listeners listening have no idea who you are, let them know about your pivotal moment of your career coming on to our podcast. My man, go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. What's up, six? Hope all of you six are doing well. Um, I'm just a, I'm a short, bald Jewish guy who likes to lift weights and help people with their fitness and nutrition. So that's pretty much it. I don't have a PhD. Uh, I'm not a doctor. My mom is really upset about that. She still regularly tells me I can always go back to school if I'd like. And, uh, and that's it. <laughs> so yeah, Jordan, go ahead and honestly, tell us a little bit about your backstory. Cause I know a little bit uh, about it. You rest in peace to the man himself, Mr. Louis Simmons. You mm. started there. Um, from what I remember, I listened to a couple of your podcasts. That's where you had started. Somebody pushed you to start really pushing out content. Um, that's where it kind of all fell out or, or again, that's, that's your story. Go ahead. Tell us a little bit more, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I started, uh, from wrestling. I started wrestling when I was eight years old and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm short, come from a very short family and my mom wanted my brother and I to be able to defend ourselves. So when I was like eight years old, my mom walked in the living room and she was like, um, I'm going to put you boys into wrestling. And the only wrestling that I knew at eight years old was WWF style wrestling. So I remember being like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? And she was like, no, you idiot, like Olympic style wrestling. And I didn't know what that was, but she put us into it and I fell in love with it. Uh, so from eight years old, I was just obsessed with wrestling. It's all I thought about, all I cared about. And then um, I ended up making varsity as a freshman in high school because I'd already been wrestling for a while at that point. So I beat a junior out for varsity spot and I was good from a technique and an endurance perspective, but my strength wasn't where it needed to be. Cause I was, you know, 14 years old going up against mainly 16, 17, 18 year olds. And I applied to a gym, a couple towns over from me. I, I grew up in Boston or outside of Boston. So, uh, I applied to a gym, a couple towns over from me. And I was like, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Just let me come and learn from you. And I was really lucky because they took me under their wing and they were also very science-based. And so from a 14 year old kid, I started coaching people and interning at an amazing, amazing gym. And they introduced me to Louis Simmons and Eric Cressy and Dan John and Pavel Tsatsulin and Mike Robertson and Joel Jamieson. They introduced me to all of these amazing, amazing strength coaches. And then I knew immediately what I wanted to do. And so after that, you know, I, I ended up, I lived in Israel for a little while. I went back to school. Then when I was in school, I emailed Louis Simmons with uh, the exact same speech that I gave to the, the gym when I was 14. I was like, Louie, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. I'll walk your dogs. Just let me come and learn from you. And, uh, and Louie replied, he said, I'll never forget this. He said verbatim in an email, he said, our weakest guy squats 800 pounds. What do you have to offer? 
And uh, I was 21 years old at the time. And I was like, I was like, all right, I can either come back and be super polite or be very aggressive. So 21 year old me went very aggressive. And I said, uh, I don't give a fuck what you or any of your lifters do. I'll outwork all of you. And uh, so long story short, he ended up, I went out to West side, went through a trial run, uh, two days straight of training, basically went in on the first day. And, and I was like, all right, what's first. And he was like, all right, you're going to do um, pin pulls from rack from pin three. And I was like, all right, cool. How much weight, how many sets and reps? And he was like, go and go as heavy as possible until it hurts too much. I was like, all right. And then next move, it was uh, SS bar close dance, low box squat, which is like the hardest fucking variation you can do. And I was like, all right, how much weight, how many sets and reps? And he was like, go as heavy as possible till it hurts too much. And then next exercise weighted glute ham raises, how much weight, how many sets and reps go as heavy as possible till it hurts too much. And every single day for two, every single exercise for two days straight, he did that to me. And then at the end of those two days, he was like, all right, I'll see you over the summer. So then that's how I got the internship with Louie. And when I was training at Westside, a guy named JC Dean encouraged me to start making content. He was like, you know, make a website, just start writing articles. And this is in July of 2011. And so I was like, I don't know what to write. He was like, just make content that helps people. And so I did that every single day for years from like 2011 to 2015. And then started my social media as well and all that. And things just took off. So it's been a, it's been a crazy ride. I just want to capitalize too, that the opportunity that you were given, you probably didn't notice, or I guess, did you notice the value in the opportunity the, the, when you got it? I noticed value, but I didn't know what the value was going to turn out to be. Um, and, yeah. And, and I think way too many people underestimate such a small opportunity like that. And it could be in regards to anything. I don't give a shit if you're learning how to like knit by the pro knitter and, and you got to sit there and hold the yarn for two years. Like yep. the fact is, is you were blessed to have a gym that you went to that was very evidence-based driven. And all you wanted to do is just be around them. And I think in more than one discipline, especially exercise science, people just disregard just being around people that know what they do is going to be so beneficial. A hundred percent. I think surrounding yourself with those kinds of people as often as you can is the best thing you can do. And I've been lucky because I've done that my whole life, whether it was the gym when I was 14, Louis Simmons, I got an internship at Cressy Performance, uh, ended up working with Gary Vaynerchuk. I've just been really lucky to surround myself with people who inspire me and can teach me and who are way better than I am at basically everything. So it's one of the reasons why it's important to hire a coach. Because ideally the coach is going to be way better than you. And it's, it's a, a way to help you and put yourself in that environment in which you're surrounded by people who are better than you. Now tell us about like just the whole situation of getting into the situations of being uncomfortable. What was it like? How many times maybe did you have like doubtful situations? Because man, I'll tell you, there's been plenty of certain situations that I've been in, especially in this field where I'm like, man, I don't know if I belong here, but I know now retrospectively like that's exactly where you need to be is if you need to be in those situations where you're uncomfortable but could you walk us through maybe certain situations and kind of give enlightenment to all of those other individuals that you know they have to go through that time period of their lives or for the sake of time let's narrow it down to one because i'm sure you have tons of <laughs> situations you've learned from what's the one that comes to mind first Pfft, there's a ton there there's like i mean i've 
I'm constantly uncomfortable and putting myself in those situations. Uh, I mean, we could talk about fitness wise, business wise, we could talk about just uh, in general, like in my life, whether it's jujitsu. I mean, every one of the reasons I love jujitsu is because I'll never forget when I started doing jujitsu about two and a half years ago, my coach said to me something that stuck with me for it's going to stick with me forever. He was like, one of the great parts about doing jujitsu is when you start your day by trying to prevent someone from choking you out, then every other obstacle you face that day seems relatively insignificant. He's like, you didn't die. It's like, you are alive. Like, cool. So everything else you're going to face today is like, it's a win. You're good no matter what. And so ever since then, I've done jujitsu every single morning since then. And it's like, it's changed my life. So it's the, like, that's the quintessence of putting yourself in a very uncomfortable situation. And I remember when I first started jujitsu, man, like I, I legit wanted to cry. I had spent 10 years as a wrestler. I, I was a pretty high level wrestler. I did really well. I went into jujitsu thinking I was going to demolish people. And all of a sudden I'm just getting tooled. I'm, I'm like, I can't move. I'm getting choked out. They could have broken my arm as many times as they wanted. Like I just feel super uncomfortable. And, uh, it was, there were many times I wanted to quit. There were many times in which I literally thought I was going to cry just because not because it hurt and not because I was in danger, but because I literally couldn't do anything to these people, these people who like you looking at them, you don't think that they're, they're athletic specimens. You don't think they're that's, I mean, I was a high level wrestler. I was an elite level power lifter. I deadlifted four times my body weight. I go in there thinking I'm going to demolish these people. And all of a sudden these skinny dudes and some women are destroying me on the mats. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And, and that has helped me in so many aspects of my life in terms of just being like, I've gotten so much better and I made it through that. It's like, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. And I really think that's why Anytime someone goes through a hard time in their life, you could talk about drug addicts, criminals, whatever. I don't know anyone who says I would, I would change it. I think almost everybody says I wouldn't change it because it's made me who I am today. And so it's actually, it's by putting yourselves in that situation or those types of situations, not being a criminal or, or doing drugs, but putting yourself in very difficult situations deliberately, it improves your character. It improves your resolve, your strength, your resiliency. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have more than I can be in account, but absolutely. It's important. I was about to say like, so I just need to go do some cocaine and I'll be, just, <laughs> I'll be unstoppable. <laughs> but caught by the police. And <laughs> yeah, then I can do anything. But uh, going back to uh, sort of who, who you are, you also became an author and what sort of inspired you to go down that? I, I guess there's a lot of business aspects of it, but you obviously don't write a book if, unless you're passionate about it. So uh, without giving any spoilers away, what really drove your passion towards that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll be, I, I always try and be as open and honest as possible. So there, there's a couple things. Number one is when I first got in the industry, a lot of the people I was looking at, whether it was Eric Cressy or Dan John or Louie or whatever, like they all had books. And I was like, man, I would love to write a book one day. You know, I admired those guys. And I was like, if, if they're the pinnacle of the career and they're writing books, like I want to do that. I want to get a book out that can help millions of people all over the world, that people can be in other countries and other nations and be reading what I wrote and have all of my best material just at their fingertips rather than trying to scroll through all the Instagram posts or whatever. It's like, I just really wanted to do that number one so it could help as many people as possible. And the other reason is just honestly ego. Um, most people don't write a book for money. It's, it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like thinking 
you're, people are going to start lifting weight so that they can win the Olympia. It's like such a small percentage of people ever get to that point with weightlifting that they're like, actually, I'm going to compete in the Olympia and I'm going to win. Right. Oftentimes they just start doing it because they want to improve their self-esteem. They want to improve their health. Um, writing a book is not a good business idea is for the vast majority of people, the amount of time that it takes, the amount of money that you'll get from it is, is not a lot. It's sort of like, I remember when I made my first website, it was so bad. It was a terrible looking website. It was awful, but it was so funny because people would always be like, Whoa, Whoa, you have a website. You've got a web. I'm like, yeah, I've got a fucking website. That's how what I write, write my articles on. Of course, it's not like a, a weird thing, but people were so impressed by it. And I'm noticing that with my book now, people, you've got, you've got a book and like, yeah, like I have a book publisher and Harper Collins and they're great. And it was an amazing book deal. And I'm very blessed, but like, it's not that special, but to be fair, before I had written the book, I wanted to for my ego. And I always try and be aware of that because I do think that the ego can be a real enemy a lot of the times. Um, but I also just want to be honest and say like, I, I wanted it for the, to, for the prestige. So people could be like, wow, you've got a book. But now that I've done it, I'm like, it's, my life has literally changed to 0%. Nothing has changed. I just now have a book. And for whatever reason, some people, like some people admire celebrities they are like, oh yeah, like I want more followers. It's like, it doesn't make a fucking difference. It doesn't, it doesn't. It's so it, the truth is that I did want it for my ego. And now that it's done, it's like that literally did nothing at all. It doesn't matter. Would you mind giving us a little bit of background of what the book is about uh, for our listeners, man? Cause I know it comes out. Uh, is it sometime next week, June 7th, I, I believe. Yeah. Holy shit. Is that already next week? Jeez. Yeah. It comes out June 7th. Um, it's called eat it. And basically it's, the whole purpose of the book is I want people to enjoy their favorite foods and be able to enjoy health and fitness without it taking over your entire life. Basically, every other diet book is all about you have to remove this food, remove that food, eat this specific food to burn fat. I don't care if you don't like this food, you've got to eat this and you got to remove all the foods you do like. And for me, I've realized just working with thousands and thousands of people, so many people will they go to their daughter's birthday party. Right. And then they feel guilty for having a slice of pizza at their daughter's birthday party. And then like it's, it ruins their entire day, their week. And I didn't want that to be happening anymore. So it's taken all of my best ideas and coaching practices and methodologies and puts it into this one book to help people develop a healthier relationship with food, be able to enjoy their favorite foods without overdoing it while still being able to lose weight. Uh, and there's also, you know, training programs in there, uh, strength training guidelines. Um, and just, it's basically everything that I do publicly, I've put into this one space. I've just smushed it all in here so that everything you ever need to know about your health and fitness is right there. Hey man. And I think that's a perfect segue to our like next kind of topic in a sense. And, you know, one thing that I'll always highlight about you is what you say is the emotional psychological aspect of caloric restriction or just dieting in general. You can't have this all or none principle. And if you have that, again, you're going to, it's going to swing back you eventually, and you're just not going to be anywhere where you want to be. So with that being said, in your words, how, how are you portraying that message to your clients? Again, you've been very successful almost a decade now, if not more, thousands and thousands of people. What is your approach to an individual that has gone years and years and years under caloric restriction through elimination diets? Yeah. I mean, so you're talking about someone who wants to lose weight and they, they just haven't been able to do it no matter what diet they've tried, no matter how much they've restricted. Um, They're in a terrible position. Yeah. So, I mean, well, it's one of the reasons why 
I did the Big Mac challenge a couple of years ago where I, I ate one Big Mac a day every day for 30 days and I was able to lose seven pounds in the process. Um, what I've realized is when most people try and lose weight, they start by trying to eliminate all of their favorite foods. Like I can't have this. I can't have that. I can't have this. I can't have that. And they basically are required to eat foods that they don't really like and only eat the foods that they don't really like. And so oftentimes the schedule looks like Monday through Thursday, they are restricting to an unbelievable degree. They are restricting, restricting, restricting. They're not going out to eat. They're bringing in their, their rabbit food and they're suffering through, suffering through, suffering through. And then Friday comes and then they go out to eat with their friends and they feel really guilty. They don't want to ruin their progress. And all of a sudden they go out, they eat more than they should. And then they feel like they, they ruined all their progress because they had some fucking chips and guac and a couple of fajitas and maybe a couple of margaritas. Now they think they ruined all their progress. And then they're like, well, screw it. I already ruined my progress. So then they just binge Saturday and Sunday. They eat way more than they should because they think they already screwed up. And they're like, I'll just get back on track on Monday. And this is their repeat cycle where they restrict Monday through Thursday, binge Friday through Sunday, and they don't make any progress at all. And But all they remember is how Monday through Thursday they suffer. And they forget how Friday through Sunday they binge and they don't realize they're literally just stalemating themselves because they suffer Monday through Thursday. And then Friday through Sunday, they literally undo everything they just did. And they just keep following that over and over and over again. But then they look at other people like, well, how come so-and-so can eat whatever the fuck she wants and she can still lose weight just because they saw her eating like a, a chocolate bar. But they didn't realize that even though she ate a chocolate bar, like she had a nice big salad with chicken on top for lunch. She like, she was able to cook her food for dinner. She had a really good quality dinner. And just because she had a chocolate bar, she just didn't give up. She enjoyed the chocolate bar. And she got right back on track. Like there was nothing wrong with it. She didn't binge. She didn't go have 15 chocolate bars after that. She just had one and that was the end. So I wanted to show people with the Big Mac challenge. I was like, it's not, I didn't just eat a Big Mac every day. I had a Big Mac every day in addition to the other foods I was eating. And I just made sure that I was still in a calorie deficit by the end of the day. And people freaked the fuck out as I lost seven pounds over that month. They're like, how are you eating McDonald's and losing weight? I was like, just because I'm making sure my total calories are in check. Like that's really all weight loss boils down to. And, uh, and so that's what I, I try and help people. I help people understand that you can enjoy your favorite foods in moderation and still lose weight. That's the best thing too. And I love that you did that Big Mac challenge because yeah, it's the perfect example. And I'm trying to prove that to people right now. And it's mainly a lot of people that go with like the gym bro science. Like you have to do the stair steppers. If you're prepping, you have to do cardio right now. I randomly decided to go into a prep mode and my show's in August, but I've gone eight weeks and I haven't done single cardio. I've watched my steps. So I'm making sure you can count that as cardio or not, but I'm making sure that I'm hit, hitting 10,000 a day and I'm enjoying whatever food will fit within my calories, like proteins first. But like <laughs> I posted a picture of a wine glass full of Skittles and I was like, this, this is me fitting my new program into my current routine because I had mm -hmm. Friday, every single Friday night I was having wine. I don't drink wine anymore because it's a waste. Like I'd rather have carbs. So Correct. that's why I had the Skittles. So it's just a really good point of why calories is the biggest thing, but what happens if maybe calories isn't the main thing you need to focus on right now? Like what, what if they've put themselves in such a bad point where you got to sort of cycle them through something to get them to be able to even lose weight? Because I've had multiple experiences where people are eating 800, 1000 calories 
and they just they they need to build a baseline first like they just have to focus would you agree with that or what, that what's what your- like they're they're just not losing weight even though they're eating too little no i understand that part um what would be your approach would you say you have to build up from there you have to start focusing on some good habits maybe having three meals a day because you're only having one right now and you're not eating anything or what, what's your approach with people that are been chronically under eating? Are, are they, are they severely underweight as well? It could no? be the majority of the time it's people coming to try to lose more weight when they're already in a chronically low calorie diet. So that's the thing is I don't know anyone who has a significant amount of weight to lose. Who's chronically under eating. Just like, it doesn't make sense, right? Like from just a physiological perspective, if they were chronically under eating, then they would be losing weight. Okay. So maybe they're not under eating. Maybe it's just, they've chronically been on a a, a low caloric based diet for so long that their body's just adapted to it in such a negative way that they gain weight whenever they start to binge, or if they have one or two days of binging. Well, so that right there, the last part of what you just said is the important part is they're binging and they're actually not under eating because they're binging, right? Just by definition, they're not in as steep of a calorie deficit simply because they're binging. Even the example that I just used, like we could look at their Monday through Thursday, they're definitely under eating Monday through Thursday, but Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when they're binging, now they're no longer under eating. So now we have to talk about, it's not the fact that it's not that they're chronically under eating, it's that they're going through these binge restrict cycles. And that's a really good point that a lot of people overlook where they, they think like, okay, well, I can only eat 800 calories. Well, how long can you fucking do that for? Unless like you're in a metabolic ward in which like all of your calories are completely controlled. Like you're in, in the biggest loser, right? We look at the biggest, the people on the biggest loser where they're not only in, in a, controlled scenario in which they don't have access to other food. They're also on international television with a massive cash prize incentive. Like, of course, they're going to be able to chronically under eat there and lose hundreds of pounds in a very short time frame. The biggest loser is actually a great example of how under eating doesn't make someone not lose fat, right? Like they're, they're the prime examples. But what happens is what, what happens to the people on the biggest loser once they're off the show? once the television is no longer on them. And we look at the success rate and it is disgusting. It's disgusting because uh, it's disgusting in the sense of, I feel awful for those people. It's like, they, they are not actually helping those people. Once the cameras are off them, once they actually have access to a kitchen and they can make their own decisions, they learn, they didn't learn anything. They just learned, well, you put me in prison and you control what I'm able to eat. Well, now I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to eat very much and I'll lose a lot of weight. But once I have a pantry and a fridge that I can go into myself and the limelight isn't on me, they gain the weight back and more. And it's super sad. So with these people who are chronically over-restricting followed by binging, my goal is I'm going to bring up their calories. But interestingly, when I bring up their calories, they're actually eating less than they were before because now they're no longer binging, right? So if someone's saying that, well, I'm eating 800 calories a day, and then through some discussion and motivational interviewing, we find out, yeah, well, I eat 800 calories a day, Monday through Thursday, and then Friday through Sunday, I end up binging and I eat like 5,000 calories every day. It's like, cool. So we're going to bring your baseline to 2,000 calories every single day. So now you're not overly restricting. You're not feeling overly deprived. And now you don't end up binging Friday through Sunday, and you'll actually end up losing weight, not because of a magic, not because of, of starvation mode, but because now you're not eating 15,000 calories between Friday and Sunday. 
I see. So I think, again, the overall overall conclusion right there is, man, making sure whatever caloric restriction you're going to go under is that you can be able to be consistent and adhere to it. That's the number one thing. That's the number one thing, no matter what it is, if you're in a reversal, you're in a dieting phase. If you can't be consistent with it long term, you're doing something the wrong way. But Jordan, one thing that you typically highlight is, again, the social aspect of dieting, right? I think one thing that you always say is food is culture say the phrase you go ahead and say it. i'm not gonna say it for you yeah to, to the effect that i hate when people say food is just fuel like food is it is fuel in one sense but food is religion food is culture food is family food is tradition food, food is is nostalgia there there's food is comfort there's so many aspects to food i think arguably the most powerful is nostalgia i think nostalgia is is arguably the single most powerful human emotion that any of us can have. And it's like, uh, you know, when you're sick, when you're a kid and your mom makes you a certain food or whatever, like there's something about the food that your mom makes when you're a kid that it will always have a place in your heart always. And you can think about it, you know, exactly how it tastes, you know, how it smells, you know, how it feels going in your mouth and like, whatever it is, like you, it's so important and, and it has a massive, massive place for you. Even something like video games, video games you played as a kid right? Like how much nostalgia do you have that? I don't know. For me, like Nintendo 64 playing Mario Kart and stuff like, oh my God, the nostalgia that I get when I see something like that, it's crazy. So to think that food is just fuel is one of the most ignorant ways of looking at it. It's very short-sighted and it's patently false, but an understanding this will help you have a better relationship with food and help your clients better understand how they can enjoy their favorite foods without feeling guilty. Cause that's the biggest issue is right. Is when they feel guilty. When they feel guilty because they had a slice of pizza at their daughter's birthday party, they feel guilty because they had cake at their nephew's graduation ceremony, they feel guilty because they skipped a workout and then they just give up altogether. It's the guilt that really causes people to be inconsistent. And when you give them a program that's unsustainable, then you're increasing the likelihood of guilt because they can't sustain it. So then they quit. So you keep saying the, the, the phrase guilt and say, again, somebody is coming to you, even, you know, you maybe give them a, a certain caloric amount, maybe a protein target as well. And they still fall off a little bit and they're still feeling guilty in that sense. What type of strategies are you utilizing for that individual to help them feel less guilty or kind of allow them to feel that in a sense, but to get right back on track and kind of get over that feeling? Yeah, it's a great question. So in, in 2000, must've been 2012, 2013, I made a video course for all my one-on-one online coaching clients and the first video course that they sent, once someone signed up with me for online coaching, um, they got this video course, then they got one video at a time and, and it would send them out over a course of about a month or so. The first video had nothing to do with calories, had nothing to do with macros, had nothing to do with training, had nothing to do with cardio, nothing. The first video was titled, and it's actually funny because it's the first chapter in the book as well and eat it. The first video was titled, you can't fuck this up. And it was just all about, I was like, I don't care if you go go over your calories by 5,000. I don't care if you miss a week of workouts. I don't care what you eat. I don't give a fuck what happens. The only way you fail is if you quit altogether. And this is something I instill within them from day one and every day thereafter. This is the most important message that I can ever give to anyone. And that's why it was the first video I sent. It's why it was the, it's the first chapter in my book, because whatever you learn nutrition wise, or training wise, or fitness wise, anything you learn about, about the foods you're eating, about calories, about macros, about cardio, about training, none of it matters 
if you think that because you missed made one poor decision that you fucked up, that it's all over. So I, that's the baseline. And we can always go back to that. So they have a bad day. They go on vacation. They missed the workouts for a month. I don't give a fuck. Just get back on track. There are people who spend their entire lives massively overweight. They never work out. They never eat well. They're literally 200 pounds overweight. And one day when they're 45, they're like, I've got to get my shit together. They spent 45 years being unhealthy and not focusing on anything. And within two, three years, they've completely changed their life. They're super healthy. Now they exercise regularly. They eat really well. And you're going to tell me that because you overate at dinner on Friday, you fucked up, shut the fuck up. Absolutely not. So that for me is the baseline that I really try and instill within people so that when they do have something that they enjoy, or they go off track of it. They don't quit. They just keep on going. Hey man, he's getting smoky in here. He's getting <laughs> smoky in here, big dog. Hey, hey man, and I, I, I tried to resonate a little bit, you know, with my current clientele is that, you know, exercise, dietary uh, adherence, it's a complex behavior. It's one of those behaviors other than unlike other behaviors that you continuously have to do. And if you don't continuously do it, you start to regress. And then again, it's like you said, you start at zero and usually nobody likes to do that, but you can choose to make it one day. Shoot, you can choose to make it one meal. And again, the power in that is that you get to choose that. So get right back on track. Again, our body is going to adapt and do all of those things. But as long as you keep doing the appropriate things, whether it be exercise, walking, lifting, you are going to make lifestyle changes. And I think that's where we start to, what Jordan, what you do a really good job, I believe, is you make things intrinsically motivated. You're not doing it for X, Y, and Z. You're doing it for yourself. And when you do it for yourself, it's going to be a behavior change that's sustainable for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, it is funny though. I'm so interested by, and that's what I studied in college is, is behavioral psychology. Like I've, I've always been interested in human behavior and I've, I feel like you guys might be able to relate to this. Tell me if this is, I know I started working out. I didn't start working out for me. I started working out for girls, like straight up. I was like, I, I want, I was for girls and for wrestling. It was those two things. Like I want to be a really good wrestler and I want, girls to think I'm hot. Like that was it. That's why I started working out. So it was, it was largely extrinsic at the beginning, but what's so interesting about especially fitness is after a while of doing it, it becomes for yourself. And that's why I'm so gung ho about not letting people quit. I think the best coaches in the world it's not because their program is magic. It's because they don't let their clients quit. They don't give them an opportunity to quit or to fail or to fall off track. They just let keep going because after a certain point, the shit's addicting. The, the progress that you see, how confident you feel in yourself, and it becomes for yourself. I hear so many parents say, my hour in the gym is the only time I have for myself and I can't give that up. It's like, when they when after a certain amount of time doing it and a certain amount of progress is made, it becomes for you. And I think for me, one of the last things I want to do is discourage from some someone from doing something. So I don't want to say like, don't do it for other people. I'll say, listen, if, if right now other people is what's encouraging you and motivating you, cool. Just pay attention to how you feel because eventually you're not going to give a shit what they think. It's going to be for you. Now, going off of that, Jordan, throughout maybe your check-ins or throughout that process with your clients, what mental check-ins do you have them do for themselves? You know, something that I like to do is, you know, every time you felt like the scale was off in a sense, 
but you didn't feel that way, I want you to note that. And tell me why that led you up to this. It's like, what did you do the night before? What did you do the before or the, the, the morning of or whatever that may be that had led that, that objective number lead you to feel that way? Do you do any, like, I guess, self-reflection with that with your clients? So it's a great question. And I love what you do. I don't do that. I'm actually there. I've gotten to a point in my coaching where we don't celebrate scale increases or decreases. Like I don't get, I don't let them get upset if the scale goes up and I don't let them celebrate if it goes down. I will say if they hit a huge milestone, like a, a five pound, 10 pound, 20 pound milestone. Yes. Amazing. You're doing great work. And we celebrate the consistency. We don't necessarily celebrate the weight loss. We celebrate the consistency. And so from here, then when people, when they're telling me their weight and they're like, oh man, the scale spiked up, whatever. I'm like, cool. Doesn't matter. Keep going. It's just very monotone. Like there's no emotion to it. Cool. Thanks for telling me. Have a good day. Let's get after it. The scale went down a pound and a half. Awesome. Thanks for letting me know. Have a good day. Get after it. Just very, I try and insert as little of my own emotion as possible just because I want them to be able to handle it. But then if they email me like, Hey, I hit a five pound deadlift personal record. I lose my shit. I go, I go like, fuck. Yes. That is amazing. Awesome job. I'm super proud of you. Let's go send me a video. I'm going to post that on social media, whatever it is. I go nuts. Like, Hey, I went to my my niece's uh, my niece's uh, Hanukkah party, Christmas party, whatever it is, and I was able to eat pie without feeling guilty. Let's fucking go! I lose my shit. I go over the top. But when it's weight shit, it doesn't matter. Cool. Thanks. Have a good one. So I train them to get excited about the right things and to have no emotions to things that shouldn't cause an emotional response. And so it, it's just through my interaction that teaches them that I don't really have, I did have a video course that I would say, this is what's going to happen. Just so you know, like, cause I remember there were certain times before I, I had the video course, some clients would, they would try and test me or they'd think I wasn't actually looking at their weight because I was so non-emotional about it. I, I, I didn't tell them that was my method. I would just do it. And they'd be like, I don't think, are you actually reading my emails? I'm like, yeah, of course I'm reading your fucking emails. I'm just not giving an emotional response. So then another one of my video courses was, if you think I'm not reading your emails because my response isn't very emotional, it's deliberate. I will give you the emotional responses to what actually matters, not to scale fluctuations. And I think that's, uh, an approach that a lot of coaches just miss the mark on is, is they'll give, they'll influence the wrong reactions where you're influencing the reactions that we need to continue receiving. Yes. If, if you positively reinforce, or I guess you would know positive or negative better than I would probably with your psych background, but what I'm saying is if you positively influence someone to always have an emotion connected towards the scale, they're always, they're not going to lose that connection with the scale, no matter how many times you say it's just a method right. of measurement. And I think that's a really big thing that'll help people adhere better. But what are, besides that emotional aspect of it, or like celebrating the correct wins, what are some other ways or other key things that you really focus when trying to get someone to adhere to a program besides just not letting them quit? Well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's number, you have to make it more sustainable. So, I mean, number one is 
anytime you would take on a new client or I would take on a new client, I'd have to get a lot of information on them. I'd have to get information on what they've done in the past, what they think has worked, what they think hasn't worked, how often they want to work out. Uh, do they have a history of tracking calories? Is it good? Is it bad? It That's where customization really comes in, in terms of, I need to make this as realistic for you as possible. What's realistic for a, a high level physique competitor who's been training for 10, 15 years is completely and utterly unsustainable for someone who's 250 pounds overweight, hasn't worked out a day in their life. They don't even know what a calorie or a macro is. So it's it, you have to meet them where they're at. I think the ultimate form of sustainability and aside from just not letting them quit is making sure that what you're giving them is doable. Like it's what there's a Louis used to say something to me and, and I've never thought about this before, but right. It makes sense as I'm thinking about it. When I would compete in powerlifting, Louis explained how he wanted me to set up my attempts because you get three attempts in a powerlifting competition for each lift. And he, he would always talk about the first attempt. He was like, the first attempt, you should be able to hit that at two in the morning. If you woke up and someone just got you out of bed and said, deadlift this, you should be able to deadlift that at two in the morning just out of bed. Because if you bomb your first lift, you're out of the meat, like you, you're done. So it's like, you need to make sure above all else, that is an easy, easy lift. I want to make sure that the program I give my clients, especially at the very beginning, they can do it. No problem. They, they look at it and they think like, that's it. This is all I have to do. It's like, when I look at that bar at two in the morning, like, that's it. That's all I have to lift. Cool. No problem. I'm done. If when they look at the program, I want them to be like, this doesn't seem like enough because when they can do it, they're definitely going to start seeing results. They're going to feel proud of themselves for actually being consistent with it. And then we can add more. It's much easier to add more than it is to take away. Because if once you start taking away, they often feel like a failure. And you can tell them all you want. No, 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 it's fine. It's good. Like it's just as effective. They will feel like a failure when you start stripping things back. But when you can add things in, they're going to be like, nice. Like I'm really making progress here. Yeah, man, it's getting smoky. It's getting fucking smoky <laughs> in here. No, I love, I, I honestly... I've done, you do it very similar. And I love when clients, they say, again, Jordan, with your whole walking approach, oh, it's easy. We'll, we'll fucking do it then. Yeah. It's the same thing. That's the same thing I say to my clients sometimes when I give them a program. Like, if it's easy, show me it's easy because then I know I can level you up a little bit. Exactly. And again, it's these day by day wins that you have to show me to earn, quote unquote, I don't say it like this, but to earn my respect to meet me at that other level. But if I give you something and you can't do it, shoot we just put you in a bigger hole than right now and then you thinking i'm not knowing what i'm doing and i don't know who you are and that just like you said it goes down to a whole negative spiral effect so other than you know we talk about right now a lot of the coaching methods to make clients be successful how can clients be successful in their self within their coach client relationship what are your i guess requirements for your clients so they make sure that hey you're on the same page and things like that especially what online coaching requires nowadays yeah that's a really good question um number one like it's actually funny so when i was doing i don't do online coaching anymore but when i was before someone signed on they i would send them a pdf with like what they can expect from me and what i can expect from them and it was like i had this is what you must do and I saw such a, a ridiculous percentage of people, but then they didn't follow what I expected from them. They had a way lower success rate, but the people who did follow what I expected from them had a significantly higher success rate. And the biggest one was actually just checking in, just 
following up with check-ins. Like if someone was consistent with check-ins, they were like a thousand times more likely to actually succeed than people who didn't consistently check in. Um, and the way I know some coaches do check-ins like once a week, sometimes twice a week. The way I did it is I did check-ins every single day, Monday through Friday, um, where every morning they would send me an email and they would send me an email with their weight from that morning, their calories and protein from the day before, and any, any questions or comments that they had. If they had any form videos they'd like me to look at, if they had any questions about what was going on, they could include that. Um, some people would literally just include all of that in the subject line. Here's my weight, calories and protein. Cool. Nothing. Have a good day. Other people would write 5,000 word emails and they'd include everything and then have tons of comments and whatever. And then some people wouldn't check in at all or very rarely for the first two categories, whether they checked in just in the subject line or they wrote a 5,000 word, word email, they were equally as likely to succeed. The people who rarely checked in were more often falling off. And, and it often wasn't because they weren't not checking in because, um, because of any ill intent. They were often not checking in just because they weren't doing the program and they felt embarrassed about it. And they didn't want to let me down. Similar to why people oftentimes it, we, this is such a, a good scenario, a good example. We know from the research, it's very clear that people who consistently weigh themselves are far more likely to have a healthy body weight and body fat than people who don't consistently weigh themselves. Why is that? There could be any number of behavioral reasons, but not least of which, if you're going to weigh yourself tomorrow, odds are you're going to be a little bit more on track with your nutrition because you're holding yourself accountable. If you know tomorrow you're going to step on the scale, you're probably not going to eat the whole pie, but maybe you'll have a little bit and then that'll be enough because you know you're going to step on the scale and you don't want to see that massive, massive spike. So, or if you're weighing yourself consistently and you see this trend going up, you're like, all right, now I've really got to rein it in. But if you ignore the scale, it's much easier just to keep on going, keep on going. That's exactly why check-ins are so important because it's keeping you accountable. And even if you gain a little bit of weight, you go off track, whatever it is, your coach is there to get you back on track and you're putting it out in the world and like, all right, this is what I need to fix. If nothing else, check-ins just keep you accountable and keep you focused on the goal. So I, I think the number one thing is just, doing your best to make sure your clients check in with you as often as possible. I don't care if it's once a week, twice a week, every single day of the week, doesn't matter, but make sure they're hitting those check-ins. And there's only so much you can do as a coach. Cause so I, I had clients who ghost, like sometimes clients will just ghost. They just won't reply. Uh, and that's like one of the worst feelings in the world, but it does happen. It's a small percentage, but it does happen. Um, and for me, it's funny, whenever I've had a client ghost, I'll send them an email. Like if I don't hear from them like for a week, I'll send something and for two weeks, I'll send something else. Then if I don't hear from them in a month, I'll usually just be like, Hey, listen, I don't know what's going on in your life, but if by chance you happen to be like embarrassed or upset that you haven't been following the program and you think I'm going to be mad at you, I'm not, I'm here to support you hundred percent. I just want to help you achieve your goals. And like 98% of the time that gets a response being like, Holy shit. I wasn't answering your emails because I was so embarrassed because I haven't been following the program. Thank you for sending that. Then they help, that helps them get right back on track. A lot of coaches that me early in my career took it as offensive when they would ghost. And I got mad. I was like, why are they doing this? And in reality, it's just, they're embarrassed and they need a friend to support them. So that's for me, the check-ins are the biggest indicator. Hey man, I think that's again, huge right there is us as coaches, man, we're not here to judge. I think that's where a lot of people in this fitness industry, they start labeling, um, and, you know, a client this past weekend, he, he highlighted something that I do that he hasn't had for other coaches. He says, coach, you know, I've never had someone give me options as a coach, right? I'm having this event and you gave me three options. Typically it's, 
hey, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. But you give me three options and you let me be autonomous in my decisions. And you mm-hmm. let me pick whichever one I'm going to be successful. And I was like, hey, that is education. I'm and it's funny, Chris, University of South Florida, exercise science. What college are we under? The College of Education. education. We're in the College of Education. Coaches, we're educators. We're not bosses. We're not dictators. At the end of the day, we need to educate everyone and any of them that we can because at the end of the day if we're able to do that i've done my job my goal for everyone and anyone that works with me is to not need me but to want me and jordan i think again you do a very good job and that's why i gravitate to you and a lot of people gravitate to you because you're an educator and you do it in a a fucking hilarious way with the smoke the cigarettes with the (laughs) wig with all that nonsense there, there we go there we go yeah. So, but it's, you're, dude, you're right, man. Like, uh, I love that you give options. Um, it, from a psychology perspective, that's the best thing you can do. Because if you just tell someone, hey, you're doing this, you actually are way more likely to get headbutting. Like, oh, well, no, I don't want to do that. Da-da, for any number of reasons, not least of which it could just be most adults don't like being told what to do. Like, hey, eat more vegetables. Fuck you right? Like, like they're going to get mad about it. But when you give them options, Hey, you could have this, or you could have this, or you could have this. What do you think? Now they feel like they're taking responsibility and they're like, all right, this is my choice. I'm making this decision. That's you teaching them how to fish, not you just giving them a fish. And that's some smoke right there too. Like, (laughs) but Jordan, we don't want to keep you too much longer. We greatly appreciate your time here today. Uh, go ahead, give our six listeners, which, yo, Adam, that like just quadrupled overnight. So I don't know where you got hey, that number from. Everybody knew Jordan was coming on. So we just got, <laughs> we got a little bit of his followers. <laughs> no, but go ahead. Let our f- listeners know where they can find you, especially that book. That's definitely going to be something I have to pick up because I absolutely love the purpose behind that. Thank you, man. Yeah. It's uh, you could get the book. It's eat it. Um, you could get it on Amazon, you could get it Barnes and Noble anywhere. Um, but, and, and it doesn't, a lot of people have been super nice being like, well, where do you get the most money? Like, honestly, it doesn't matter. Just anyone who picks it up in any capacity means the world to me. Oh, you just get it. Oh, let's go. <laughs> I, I had to get it yesterday. I, I had to go on your profile. I had to catch up with you a little bit. I've been, I've been MIA on social media a little bit. I had to catch up with you. And I saw that I was like, you know, I got to support. There was a Mino Henselman had wrote a book, um, the science of self-control. That was another great book. Oh, a lot nice. of references that I'm reading on, um, again, especially through the dietary. And it, it, I would say his approach led me to other ways of thinking, which is always great, uh, especially for those rigid individuals. So I, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you both. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, you can, if you want to find me, just Google my name, Jordan Syatt and, uh, it's S Y A T T. That's pretty much it. And I'm always happy to help. All right. We appreciate it again, boss. You have a great day. Thanks for coming on. You as well. Thanks guys.